There's this really uh, great little book that was published a few years ago by a guy named Leslie Flynn, and it's called Great Church Fights. And in it, he talks about churches that are fighting and sort of how to work through it. But in it, he tells this uh, sad and ridiculous but hilarious story of a little Welsh church that was looking for a new pastor uh, and all of a sudden it found itself as sort of the laughing stock of the community as its name got published in the papers. What happened? You might think that a newspaper paid enough attention to a church to actually write about it. Well, uh, what happened was the church was looking for a new minister. And so one Sunday, uh, two different groups of people within the church uh, decided that they would put forward their new minister choice to the church. And so what they did on this Sunday is they had each minister come up and speak. Both were given the exact same amount of time to speak. They were allowed to choose, though, what they would speak on and uh, kind of what direction they wanted to go because they wanted to sort of show the best of their candidates. And uh, it was all good except for the fact that there was a catch. They had to do it at the exact same time. So imagine this, myself getting up and starting this message while another minister gets up and goes, okay, I'd like you to open your Bibles. And while I'm going over here, I'm like, no, actually, where I'd like you to open your Bibles. And this is what began to ensue. And quickly, these two ministers began preaching over each other, trying to get louder and louder and louder so that their voice would cut through. Well, after all that chaos... What ended up happening is a representative from each of the groups that had appointed the minister thought that they would get up and come and lead the church in a hymn that went with the message. And so imagine this, two people walk up on stage, maybe Thomas and Haroon, they each have their own hymn, and they begin to try to lead us in singing. Ridiculous. Well, this escalated so far that it just didn't stay within the church, but there became such a ruckus that the cops got called. The police had to come and actually send one group out of one side of the doors, another group out of the other side of the doors, and then when everyone got outside, they had to break up a brawl in the parking lot between two of the leaders of the groups. Ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the worst part is that's a true story. That's not a made-up anecdote. This is something that happened because two groups of people decided, you know what, we want to put ourselves first. We want church to line up with our preferences, and we are going to make sure that that takes place. Now, preferences aren't a bad thing on their own. They're, the problem, though, is that sometimes we allow our preferences to make church all about us. We want to go to a church that ticks all the boxes. Well, the music's right. I like the preacher. The kidsmen's right. The youth ministry's right. I like the local outreach they're doing. Uh, I like my seat that I can sit in, and no one else sits in that spot in my row, so I have the right angle to see the screen, so the music's just right. Uh, the Speakers are either pointed directly at me or away from me. I like the way they do announcements. I like the way the guy prays. Whatever, right? And, and this is what church, sadly, can become. 
And what happens is as we do that, church devolves from being what it's supposed to be to becoming a self-fulfilling consumerist activity. And sadly, that's not just a problem that plagues the church today, but this is something that goes throughout history. And as we look at our scripture today, we'll see a warning against this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, was very aware that this could take place. I mean, he has lived first as a Jewish leader in the synagogue, and he was aware of the competing rabbis who would divide their disciples amongst themselves. Well, I like this one. He's a little bit more about the widows and the orphans and the women. Well, I like this one. He's a little bit more about Shabbat and about how we live our lives throughout the week. And and they would divide themselves only to end up where people just said, well, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose depending on how I feel, and I'm going to go to get instead of to give. And because the Apostle Paul had seen this, he became very wary and weary of the different things that could take place in the church. In fact, we see a number of times he writes different letters to different churches to correct this kind of behavior. He goes, whoa, 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 I see factions starting amongst you. We need to put that to rest. Oh, I see what's happening is that you're not using your gifts. Instead, you're just coming to consume, and that's not healthy for this church family. And so out of his wisdom of all the things he's seen, out of his wisdom of growing up in the church, Paul has discerned that while he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, that he needed to warn them of the potential for this to arise. And this was especially a dangerous situation because Philippi was located in Macedonia on the crossroads from Rome into the rest of the world. And Paul knew that as the church began to grow, it was going to catch the attention of Rome. And Rome wasn't going to like it, and so they were going to persecute them. They were going to cause them to suffer. And what happens when we suffer? What happened during COVID when we felt uncomfortable with what was going on around us? We retreated inwards, didn't we? Many of us began to look for what was comfortable. We began to seek the things that we preferred, and we made things all about us. This, unfortunately, though, is the exact opposite of what Scripture commands for people to do as part of a faith community. And so Paul, recognizing that there was this risk, that there was this possibility, and we'll get to why that was maybe even a little bit more possible amongst this church, decided to warn them. If you were with us last week, we looked at Paul's call to the followers of Jesus, and he said, you will suffer. And it's going to be granted to you by God, so God's going to allow it to happen. So be ready, but continue to serve one another and serve the world so that people would find faith in Jesus. And this is the next part. As we read today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we'll see where he goes and how this all sorts of ties in to our view of the church. Let's begin by reading verse 1 and we'll continue to verse 11. Paul says, therefore, so therefore, after I've called you to live a life worthy of the gospel, even if you face suffering, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if you get any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We see that Paul says, avoid it being about you. When suffering comes, I want you to look at something besides the suffering to set your mind on what you should do. In a way, verse 5 really is the key anchor passage of what we're going to talk about today, where he says, in your relationship with one another then, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. But before we get there, Paul says what we should focus on. As we endure living in community and the ups and downs that go with that, as we face what may be a rejection from the world for being followers of Jesus, Paul says to go and do, to build up people in faith in Jesus. But first, he gives the motivation. In verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and in one of mine. So Paul here says, Therefore, because this is happening, because you're being called to this, if you have any encouragement, in being united with Jesus. This is the starting point. Paul says, if we're going to think about anything that we ought to do, it should flow from what? Guilt? No. From shame? No. From looking good? No. From Christ and our relationship to him. It's because of Jesus' love and sacrifice that he willingly died on the cross. And Paul's going to come back to that in a little bit. He says, it's because he's done that and chosen to be in a relationship with you that we should, in turn, be encouraged to live like him. So if you're getting encouragement from that, or if you're getting encouragement and comfort from his love, Paul says, God loves us, and he loves us unconditionally. 
Even if we've never experienced unconditional love and known how that is to shape our way of living and interacting with one another, say you've had abusive relationships in the past, say you've had terrible parent role models, say you've had any number of horrible things that have happened in relationship, Paul says it doesn't matter about how that leads you to believe you should live. What matters is the love of God and the comfort that that might bring in place of those broken relationships, in place of the hurt that you've understood. God wants to comfort you with his love. And from there, that will allow you to live in a new way. But not only does God invite us into relationship, not only does he comfort us as a way of knowing how we could live, but he says if we get any common sharing in the Spirit. Now, this is a weird phrase in English, but if we were to use the Greek word here, koinon, we would get a picture of a word we're maybe a little bit more familiar with, and that's fellowship or partnership. If he's saying if any of us have a partnership with the Spirit of God, that will tell us how we are to live. This is one of the greatest privileges of being a follower of Jesus, that we get to join God in what he's doing. Spoiler alert, God doesn't need you and I to do a whole lot, but he invites us in. I think this is one of the best pictures for us to understand just how much God loves us. And if you're a parent or if you're a kid who can think back onto your parents being patient with you, you'll be able to get, get this for a moment. I mean, isn't us allowing our kids to do something with us, particularly something of importance, one of the best examples of how, they lo- how we love them? I mean, there's a lot of things that I can do a lot quicker around the house without my kids helping me. There's a lot of things that are really meaningful that I can just do on my own because it's easy for me, but it's important that I invite my kids in so I can teach them about my heart. When we talk about finances as a family, that's confusing for the kids sometimes, but I'm able to begin to, to instill in them the importance of how we use our money. When I'm doing projects around the house or when my wife is DIYing and we bring the kids in on that, we exemplify not only that we care for our home, but that we care for our kids by allowing them to contribute to the building up of the home they live in. Likewise, God shows us his kindness In using us, pathetic, finite beings, to join him in what he's doing. In building his kingdom here on earth, even though he's fully capable of doing it himself. And so Paul says, because of that, we have an opportunity to view how we live. Finally, he encourages the people of Philippi, and by extension us, to remember just how tender and compassionate Jesus is. That there's this sense because we've received his kindness, because we've received his love, because we've gained his mercy and his grace, we should have that flow through us 
to affect the relationships that we have with other people. Paul's essentially here not just giving us a a, a sense of spiritual motivation, but he's giving us the kindness to remind us to replay through our mind the goodness of God on repeat. This is a really important thing because by reminding ourselves of what God has done, it not only tells us how we should live, but it speaks to who we are and who he is. And then Paul says, because of that, I want you to live in a certain way. Because of what God has done, because he chose not to live in his own comfort box, you're supposed to get out of yours. Because God didn't avoid suffering, you're allowed to live in the midst of it. Because Jesus didn't care just about himself, you're not to care just about yourself too. Realistically, the only thing that's going to awaken us beyond looking inwards at what we want is looking outwards at who God is, how he's lived, and what he wants for us. And so if you're lacking motivation to live your life on fire for Jesus, I'd encourage you just to stop in this place just to rest on who God is and what he's done and allow that to light a fire in your heart to realize the immensity of who Jesus is and what he's done. Moving from that, though, Paul says, because we've had this experience, because we've received all these things, in verse 3 to 5, he says, do nothing then, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, then, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, sadly, many of us have probably experienced life in some form of community that doesn't live to that standard. All of us have probably been in some place, whether it's a classroom or a workplace or in a family or in a church space, where we have seen the opposite of this. Where people try to rise above others within that community to maybe look good and make other people look a little bit down. We, we, We know people who have fragile egos or who have huge ones, and, and we've seen what this can look like. And sadly, what that does is it tears community apart. I know another sad story of a church that ended up splitting where it all started at a church dinner. This event was supposed to be for the church family to come together and just appreciate spending time with one another, but it ended up actually going to the court of Texas to divide the church as it split. And what happened was this, as one lady walked around and she served out the ham to everybody where they were seated, an elder got really offended. Why? Because his piece of ham was smaller than the child who sat next to him. That's a real story. Like, that's ridiculous. But what happened was there became this 
debate between the two groups where one group said, well, he's an elder. We should respect our elders and we should put them first. And, and that was all good. That was beautiful. But on the other hand, the other side said, what's the big deal? It's a piece of ham. You can have seconds. But for some reason, this church decided to get caught in such an ugly battle because people started looking out for their interests instead of their own. People started saying, I'm more important than the kid who sits next to me. And because of that, they went the exact opposite way that a church should go. Now, this seems like an obvious thing. And while we maybe have never experienced this to quite that dramatic way of that Welsh church or that church down in Dallas, we see these factions come and go. We see people with egos rise and fall. Now, I know some people look at me and they say, well, Kyle, this is easy for you to say. You're the pastor of the church and you get to have church the way that you want to. And to that, I say, you're ridiculous. This church actually looks not a whole lot like all of my preference that I would want to include. Nor should it. Because this church isn't a community about Kyle. This is a church community that is about us. And together, we're supposed to seek to serve other people. I'm totally okay when we sing a song that isn't my preference. I'm okay when we get involved in an initiative that's not something I'm necessarily passionate about personally. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. And it's about the people who want to serve one another together. Do we get this wrong? Do I get this wrong? Yeah, sometimes. And that's where we need to pursue forgiveness, which we'll come to in a little bit. But this is something that takes place. And honestly, this is something that would have just rocked the world of those who were hearing Paul's letter first. We have to understand that as Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to people who lived in an honor and shame culture. And this was an incredibly stratified culture. I mean, there were different layers of people at different layers of importance, and they had interesting relationships because of it. In Paul's day, one of the most uh, obvious examples of this was something called a patronage, uh, a patronage network. And what that was, was it was networks of people uh, that would take care of each other, where some would take care of others and some would have a duty to others as well. And what do I mean by that? Well, oftentimes there would be a wealthy individual or a person who had some type of maybe political or social power. And what they would do is they would provide for other people in the community who had needs. And as they did that, they would provide goods and services, perhaps protection from those who might go against a certain group of people. They would provide employment opportunities. And in return, what would happen is these, what were sometimes called clients and other times called friends, would give honor to those people. They would represent them positively. They would speak well of them in the synagogue or in public places. They would vow loyalty to this individual or to this family. They would express allegiance and gratitude continually. And this wasn't actually always a bad thing. We look at that and we kind of go, uh, I'm not so sure. But in the day and age, this was actually could be a really positive thing. For instance, in scripture, we actually see that coming out of Philippi, there's this lady named Lydia. And Lydia 
was a patron to the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Lydia was actually the first convert that we know about in Europe, in this city of Philippi, and she was a lady of great wealth and ability. And because of that, she became the head of the house church network that grew in this area. And because of that, what she did is she led the church in the cause to support Paul in his missionary journeys. And so Paul, elsewhere in scripture, is referring to her as his patron. And so this isn't a bad thing. We see that Paul speaks of it positively. But what Paul was aware of is the possibility for this to go really wrong. Because as the church began to grow, Paul knew that this might impact different houses of patronage. And we get sort of a Game of Thrones feeling thing here, where there's different houses and different factions, and they want to prove their worth and their value and their power, and they could have gone against each other. This happens in other churches. And so what Paul does is before it can get to that place, he says it doesn't matter how valuable you think you are. It doesn't matter how important your patron is because look at what Jesus has done. Even the most important one of all has humbled himself to serve. And this is part of why he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And from there he launches into this, what's, it's a hymn, it's sort of a poem, it's known as the Christ hymn, which is found in verses 6 to 11. If there was ever any question about what Jesus did and what the model was for us as followers of Jesus, Paul sets the record straight by writing this. He says, in your relationship with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is really like a, whew, like a breathtaking thing to think. It, like if we can, and, and it's impossible for us to fully comprehend, but if we can actually stretch our minds as much as we can to kind of try to put ourselves in understanding of the situation, it's amazing what God has done. Jesus, up to the point that he came, some couple decades before the point that, that Paul wrote this, had existed fully as God. From eternity past until that moment in the present around, you know, 0, 1, 2, 3 AD, depending on how you do the dating, God existed fully in and of himself, full of power, full of love, full of majesty and honor, and honor full of holiness that we've sang about today. 
And out of that, being the one who created the heavens and the earth, he decided to become like us. I don't know about you, but when I look at myself, I'm not particularly wowed. And the fact that Jesus would come in a form like me, compared to his eternal state, is incredible. The fact that he would go to say, I have all the power, power beyond your comprehension on earth. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to set that on the side so that I can live and serve you and ultimately my Father in heaven. I'm going to do that. Now, we've got to be careful here. There's all sorts of possibilities to get into all sorts of heresy. God didn't uh, take away his godness, his divinity. But as fully God, he chose to become fully human, to experience all the range of pains and hurts and ups and downs and all those things that we go through. He chose to step into that so that he could experience the life we live, so that he could experience the death we deserve, that we might be able to have life in him. And what's incredible is not only did Jesus die, he didn't die like in his sleep as an old man, passing peacefully in bed with his whole family gathered around him singing beautiful songs and having nice scented candles and the comfort of his comforter. No, he died the most vile and torturous of death. The reason why Paul says he died even on the cross there is because he, Paul wanted people to be shocked by what Jesus had done. While the Romans performed crucifixions, it was seen by the average person in the population that that was a curse word. To say the word cross was to blurt out an obscenity. And so when Paul says the God of the universe stepped down and died as an obscenity, people would have heard the most kind of offerings that could have come from someone who deserved to receive them all. Jesus did it all even though he is the one who deserves the praise. He sacrificed himself even though we deserve death. And so Paul says this because he wants us to understand that no matter who we are, we should be willing to humble ourselves to the lowest of possible places. Why? So we can serve others and so we can bring God glory. Jesus said this himself, John 13, 16. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. We have to, if this is what our master would do, if this is what Jesus would do as God, we can't be better than it. We can't be better 
than Jesus. We can't treat coming to church in a way that's different than Jesus would have. Instead, what we have to do is humble ourselves to have the mind of Jesus as we approach everything that we're supposed to do. Last week, I brought up this idea of something that happens in the world as we try to share the good news of Jesus or maybe as we approach how we should think about sort of our spiritual journey. And that's this, that oftentimes we think that what we are supposed to do is behave in a certain way in order that we would be enabled to believe in Jesus so that we can belong to the church. And while we maybe never say that, I know for myself that has been the experience of what I've taken away from my own life. It's sadly and regrettably been at times what I've told other people that they should do, maybe not in those words, but I've said, yeah, we really have to get our lives together so that we can believe in who Jesus is so that then we can belong in community both with him and with others. But that's totally the wrong way around. What we're really supposed to do is we're supposed to have an environment where people can belong in order that they might be inspired to believe. And then last week I, I said that we should behave, but really what I wanted us to do is get to this point where we can say it's not even just about behaving, it's about becoming. It's about becoming like the person of Jesus. Sadly, we've operated very differently, but what would the church look like if we all created such an environment of belonging in the way that Jesus would. I think it would really change each of us who participates in that profoundly, and it would become such a, a catalytic and transformative place and space and way of being that people would be drawn to it. And that they would end up believing. I really want to see people belong. I mean, I want people to, to connect with people of faith and know that they are welcomed in by love. Now, when I say that, I, I don't even mean I want people to come to church. I actually want us to become so like Jesus that when we individually or as couples, or as families, or as friends go out into the world, that we so well represent Jesus and exhibit his love that people find belonging in Christian community long before they ever step in the doors of a church. I want people to, to see us as their neighbors, their co-workers, their classmates, as people of love and sacrifice. And so they want so desperately to come and be a part of who we are and how we live our lives and what we're all about. So that in that place of love, they would be able to believe. So that through them seeing the transformation that takes place in us, they too would want to experience who Jesus could be for them. That they too would want to experience the fullness of what it means to live with the Spirit of God living in us, so that they too would want to become more 
like Jesus. Now when I say this, I don't want you to hear we're about behavior modification. That's not what the church is here for. We aren't uh, about changing our behavior for some moralistic sake. We change our behavior because it's behavior that's different than Jesus is, and we want to become more like him. And in striving to become more like Jesus, we serve a whole lot of purposes. For one, we help ourselves and those around us to experience a more flourishing life. If we were all kind and patient and willing to suffer and willing to serve at any expense, our lives and the lives of those around us would look a whole lot better. Our lives would be more meaningful, our experience more rich as we get together with other people. It would provide not just that place of belonging, though, it would serve to be a marker of the change that's possible because of who God is. I want people to look at the Kyle I was yesterday or last month or last year or 10 years ago and go, I don't recognize that guy. He looks a whole lot different. He looks a whole lot more like Jesus. And I want them in doing that and walking alongside of me for years to go, well, I want that too. If that's possible in him, which is shocking, I know it can be done in me too. This is why I don't get discouraged even when it takes a lot of years of walking alongside someone for them to come to faith in Jesus. Because I know that the longer I go, and if I genuinely allow the Spirit to produce more fruit in me, it's going to become more and more compelling to them. This is what I want. This is what I want to see. This is what we want for our community. And when I say that, I don't want you to hear that it's not here. I'm actually thrilled to see how this is being exhibited in our church. I can think of Sunday school teachers who take the time after a busy work week to look and prep a lesson and then hang out with a bunch of crazy kids in order to show them the love of God. I think of youth leaders who don't just show up on youth nights, but they choose to walk alongside students and help them walk through some of the most difficult times of their lives. But it's not just those who work directly with people. There's people who show that they're willing to sacrifice their times in all sorts of behind-the-scenes way. There's sound people and tech people. There's finance people. There's those people who spend hours and hours and hours preparing for community group and following up with people to show them the love of Jesus. There's many more that I'm, I'm not even expanding on because it, there's just too many to see. But I want to say, first of all, thank you but I also want to say I want to see more of that. Because when we see people doing this with excellence, we begin to hunger more for belonging. We begin to believe more for the transformation that's possible in Jesus. And then we, as others who benefit from others serving, become more like Jesus too. So the final question this morning then is, well, what do we do with this? What does this look like? And for those of us who maybe are saying this is way too big, 
I don't think I'm up to the task. I just want to encourage you with this quote by C.S. Lewis that just encourages you to pretend. He says, it helps us to pretend to be like Jesus, just as a child might pretend to be a soldier or a shopkeeper. Just as the child's imaginary games help the child to develop skills that will later be useful as a real soldier or shopkeeper, so the game of pretending to be Christ inevitably reveals to the believer places that there are for improvement and guides the believer towards spiritual maturity. I mean, that's the best case of fake it till you make it that I've ever heard. But really, if we can even try to muster up a little bit more of what it is like to follow Jesus, even if we can just kind of put it on for a little bit once in a while, what we'll begin to see is the fruit that comes from it and we'll experience the goodness that comes, the joy that fills our heart as we do what Jesus would do. And then as we do that, it draws us closer and closer in. It gives us more and more reason. It, it even helps us to see the steps that we can take in order to become more like him. Let's pretend to be like Jesus. Let's pretend to be like Jesus and serve one another by taking on the lowliest of positions of service. I mean, Jesus was willing, even while he was alive, to take on the position of a slave when he washed his disciples' feet. Let us pretend that we know how to speak kindly to one another, even when they do wrong. Notice what Jesus did in the scripture. He lifted people up. Whether it was the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery or the overzealous Peter, Jesus chose to lift these people up to speak kind words of truth to them so that they could grow. Let us listen, or at least pretend we know how to be good at listening for a long time and patiently to one another. I, I don't know how Jesus did this. Honestly, it just stretches my mind. If Jesus knew everything and knew what the answer was, like how did Jesus sit and suffer along listening to people who just screwed up and got it wrong? I don't know, but I want to know. Because I want people to feel seen and heard and to know their value in God's eyes. So let's pretend that we know how, and as we do, Let's allow people to see that they have a place to belong. Let them know that there's a place to be heard where they're cared for. And as we do that and as we hear that, let's pretend we know how to shoulder the burdens of other people. Jesus embodied this, of course, in the most obvious of ways by carrying our sin on his shoulders to the cross. Our job then is to just try to figure out to the best of our ability how we can help each other overcome our burdens and our pains, how we can get through difficult times. Let's share the word of God with one another. Even if we have to pretend because we don't believe it all ourselves when we read it or we have it all in our head but we haven't allowed it to come down in our heart, let's still try to speak truth over people for their sake. We can remind each other of the promises of God and what God is going to do. 
We can speak prophetically over one another to challenge and inspire each other by the scriptures. And as we do these things, hopefully the inevitable will take place where we will begin to embrace the truth of that not just being us pretending, but that being our reality. Of that not just being something that seems good on a piece of paper, but it making a real difference in our community. In a moment, we're going to sing again about who God is and his goodness and his favor. And as we do that, what I want us to do is to just take time to think about an attribute of God, about something that he's done or a part of his characteristic. And I just want you to grab hold of that and ask yourself, whatever one comes to mind, how can I try to embody that a little bit more today and then a little more each day this week as we go from this place. So before we go on to worship through song, let's just take a moment, reflect, allow the Holy Spirit to bring some aspect of who God is to our minds, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll worship God in response, focusing on who he is. Jesus, we thank you that you are God eternal, that you are same yesterday, today, and you will be forever. That you are all powerful, that you are all good, that you are all loving, that you are all merciful, that you show us so much grace and kindness while holding up being righteous and true, and that you are the defender of injustice, that you will uh, reign supreme, that you will hold evil to account at the end of the days. And Lord God, as I think of all of those things, and God, I know I'm missing so many. Lord God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're continuing to do. But Lord God, I just pray that I wouldn't just see you do it, but Lord, that I would join you in it. And God, I pray that for everyone here too. Lord, that we would know how we can join you in what you are doing and who you are. God, I thank you that you invite us to become more like you. And I pray that as we pursue that, that we would experience the truth that is, is told to us in the scriptures, that we would become more and more like you, that you would br allow our lives to bear more and more fruit, that there would be more and more goodness in the world as more and more of your kingdom comes here on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you that we get to be used by you. Lord, help us to provide a place of belonging where every person serves, where every person gives, where every person loves, where every person sacrifices. And Lord God, would that be such a compelling place, whether it's not just in this church building, but in our homes and in our schools and in our workplaces, would, it, would the church in all of those places just draw people to faith in you? Lord, we want to see more and more of you so help us to be that representation of you here in the world. We pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit in your name, Jesus, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.